Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave them unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Uh, you know, as we jump into the new fall season, um, and you've, if you've been with us for a little bit, you, you've heard this a lot. I can't quite shake the things that my friend B said at the recent youth retreat that we've alluded to ever since. Um, and because the reason why I can't shake it is because it's profoundly, I think, hitting the thing that has been on my heart for a long time and the thing that I think God is calling us to. And the thing that he said that I think we're going to keep referring back to over and over again is that we have to fight the dangers of two things that happens all over the country and in most of our churches and in this place as well. The first thing is this thing called an almost faith, right? That if you're almost saved, it isn't really good because you know where you end up. Like it's like just like if you almost graduated, you still haven't graduated. And if you almost get the job, you're still unemployed. And if you're almost getting the girl, then you're still single, that kind of thing. So almost faith. And then secondly, that we must fight the danger of merely listening to these words and not hearing. Listening good, but hearing is what transforms us, right? It's like, you know, the idea that my friend B, he's from Baltimore. He, he used to listen to Wu-Tang growing up, uh, and all the black people in the, in the hood where he grew up from, they'd be like, oh, you listen to Wu-Tang? He'd be like, yeah, that's my jam. And you'd be like, no, you listening to it, but you ain't heard that. Like that kind of an idea that has to transform us. That we want to be people of complete faith who are hearing God's word thoroughly, and more importantly, hearing him thoroughly, so that it would transform the way that we live our lives every single day. And I can't, in my honest opinion, think of a better way to do this than to go through a comprehensive deep dive in and through the Ten Commandments, which is why from now until basically Advent or Christmas, uh, minus a few weeks when I'm not in town, we're going to dive deep into the Ten Commandments one by one, starting with today's kind of introduction overview and then going into each one, one by one. Now, you're probably wondering, hmm, why? Why, why the Ten Commandments, first off? And of all the things that you could have chosen, Pastor Pete, like why the commandments? 
Many of you might be thinking, like, how are the ancient rules written way, way, way long ago actually going to help us today in our modern context? Right? That's one of our challenges is understanding what God's word means to us in our present day modern context. Or you might be thinking like, oh, there they go again, those stupid Christians and their rules. Those, mm, them rules. All about their rules, what you can or cannot do. Why can't we just all agree on loving Jesus and loving others the way that God says so? Like, why do we have to make things so difficult with these rigid and uptight and, you know, like these rules? Why? And some of you who've been here for a little bit or who were here last week uh, and, and, uh, and very perceptive, you'd say, oh, no, no, no. but even more so, you even said so yourself, Pastor Pete, last week, that law-keeping does not equal holiness, that there are indeed obeying, rule-obeying, law-abiding people who are also sinners. So what's the deal? You flipping the script all of a sudden, like I, as if we wouldn't remember? And the answer to all of those things is, is, is no. And let me say, I hear you, and I hear all of those concerns. But the reasons I've chosen the Ten Commandments in this season of time is because behind the commandments is a God who speaks and gives them and more, behind the God who speaks them is a reason deep in his heart for why he gives them, right? You have a lot of rules in your house. You have a lot of rules in your schools, in your jobs, wherever you are, there's a lot of rules. And there's always reasons. And the ones that you don't like are the ones that don't seem like they have any reasons behind them. And for me, if we truly understand the reason, the purpose of the Ten Commandments, then I believe we will see why, right, and how they will transform our lives. Now, consider a couple things before we jump into the meat of things. Consider this. Did you know that the Israelites celebrated every single year a week-long festival called the Festival of Pentecost to celebrate God giving them the law? Right? The Israelites back in the day were so happy about getting God's law that they threw a festival. One of the three major ones, you'll see it on the screen, celebrated every year, Feast of Pentecost. I know, it's crazy, but they were so happy about God giving them the law that they threw a week-long party thanking God for it. And if we're just being honest, let's just be real, ain't nobody going to throw any parties for any more laws being written into our law system. Well, except for one, if we had actually a good gun control law, but that's beside the point. You've got to ask yourself then, why were the Israelites so happy? Why would anybody be so happy? You would not be happy if your parents or your work or your schools or wherever in, in, you know, writ, wrote another rule on top of the many that you already have. Why would they be so happy? And the reason is because they recognize that God spoke the Ten Commandments, right? And this is the reason why we're studying this. In order to protect and enhance the life of freedom that he wins for his people. Those are the words of my professor who wrote this book. Uh, by the way, most of this comes from a book that he wrote that he didn't publish, so I'm one of the lucky ones. He just gave it to me one day. But let me say that again. The reason why they were so happy is because God gave the Ten Commandments in order to protect and enhance the life of freedom that he won for the people. Our tag and slogan for this series is that the Ten Commandments are God's insider's guide to living a life of freedom. Which means that we cannot see nor understand the law the way that the older brother, the Pharisee, and the scribes of the parable from last week does. Which is simply a means of getting salvation, right? The way that you get God to like you and give you eternal life. The way that we want to see it is more along the lines of what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24. It'll be on the screen. And by the way, these words, he, right before he says these words, he tells the people that you can tell a tree by its fruit, right? Good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit, right? You can't fake the funk, that kind of thing, right? And then also right after that, he goes, not everyone who calls me Lord in the, in, in the end, 
Not one goes, Lord, Lord, I knew you. He's going to be like, I didn't know you. And then right after he says that, he says this. He says, therefore, anyone or everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Which is to say that when, not if, the storms of life come at you, your house will remain standing if you build it on a rock, which is to hear and do his words as, com- as, a, as compared or opposed to building your house on the sand, which of course means your house will wash away. The question is, do you want to know how you're supposed to live life and live it well? Hmm? Does that interest you? Want to know how the life of God, right, how to live the life that God desires for you, the way that he has designed? And if the answer to that for you is yes, then the answer is the Ten Commandments. As I call them, God's insider guide to living a life of freedom. That's what we're in for for the next few weeks. Or, sorry, a few weeks, a few months, I should say. Now, a little bit of background as we kind of jump into the meat of things. Before we get to our three questions to prove our thesis and all that stuff, right? Question for you. Who knows the first line of the Ten Commandments? Who knows? Anyone? What? I heard it. You're such a nerd. You ruined my thing. He's correct. Verse 2, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of slavery. It's not you, shall not, you shall not have any other gods before me. That's the first commandment, but not the first line. John, you're a nerd. You're not supposed to answer that. You're the praise leader. If you don't know that, what's... Anyways. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks. But if you remember that the context of these Ten Commandments is right after God rescues the Israelites from Egypt, right? Remember, they were slaves of Pharaoh, Right after he rescues them, when they're in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, he then gives these laws to them. Now that God has freed them from slavery, he's showing them how to make sure it stays that way. Because if we're honest, right, living the Christian life ain't so easy, is it? Right? Because as I always like to say, I always say there's no such thing as a stagnant Christian life There's no such thing as plateauing, like just your life being like this in a Christian life, because it can't be. Because if God is who he says he is, and he's as great and amazing and awesome as we say he is, then there's no way you can ever get enough. You're always going to want more because there's so much more, infinite amount for you to get. But at the same time, there's no way you can stay put because the enemy will not let you, right? Don't forget that even after Pharaoh let the Israelites go, what did he do? He then sent out people to go chase them. It's just what life is is. Either you are drawing closer and deeper to God, or you are falling away. There's no middle ground. And side note, stagnating or plateauing is literally one of the most effective ways for us to become more distant with God, because we're slipping, but we don't even know that we're slipping. Read uh, C.S. Lewis's um, screw tape letters, and you'll find that out to be true. God rescues us from slavery to bondage, and, or slavery and bondage to sin so that we can have an eternal relationship with him and one another, marked by freedom and love. Again, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is so that we can get life, so that it can protect and enhance our life of freedom that God has won for us. It's kind of like this. If you ever buy anything important, any machinery, a car, computer, whatever, it doesn't really matter. If you buy anything, it always comes with an instructions, owner's manual, does it not? Right? 
And you know what that's for? And I know nobody reads it, right? I have a whole thing, like a folder of instructions manual, like owner's manuals that I've never read, right? But the whole point of it is that once you buy something, the idea, the reason why they give you a manual is because the people who made it, the manufacturers are telling you, this is how you should use this thing so that you can use it for a long time and so that it can actually do what you want it to do, right? This is how you're supposed to maintain it, keep it as good and as for as long as possible. And the whole point of the Ten Commandments is to help us to do that with our life now that we have one of freedom. So then when you give your life to Christ and you become saved and you're saying, now I'm a Christian, now the thing that you got to focus your eye, your, to, uh, turn your attention to, right, is to then how to live it. Notice, none of your parents will ever tell you, hey, go get the instruction manuals for the book. Go get the operational guide to the car because that's how you're going to go get the car. No, that doesn't work that way. You get the car, then you get the manual to figure out how to run or obtain or the, to uh, make the car last. Okay? And this is indeed the way that Israel saw the law. I'm just going to put some scripture on the screen. I'm just going to read them quickly. But this is how they saw it. Deuteronomy 4.1. God says, that, Oh, now, o Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgment which I am teaching you to perform in order that you may live. Deuteronomy 5.29. God says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it may be well with them and their children forever. It's the next one. And then Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 16, Moses says, See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil, in that I command you today to love Yahweh your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments that you may live. I think Jesus sums it up in John 14 really well. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We love God because he loves us. And if you love him, then you will. Not you might or you ought or you should or you could. You will keep his commandments so that you may live. It makes one of my favorite psalms, but one of the most confusing ones for a long time for me, all make sense. Psalm 19, 7 to 10, again, on your screen. The psalmist says, the law of Yahweh is perfect. Whoever said that about any law? Nobody. Restoring the soul. The precepts, more laws, right, of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. All good. And then he says this, they are more desirable, the law, than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. In giving the law, this is what God is saying, and this is what I want you to focus your attention on. He's saying, I am God. I love you. I already did. And I've already acted to free you from everything. So let me in. So let me let you in on a little secret. Live the way that I tell you to. To my guide. And you will always live a life of freedom. Live the way I tell you to. And you will actually live the life you're supposed to. And not some pseudo life that you may be living. So I think in this season for our church, in a lot of different ways... I think it's, again, drawing this idea. No more almost faith. No more just listening but hearing. And indeed, let's stop faking the funk, as many of us do oftentimes. And let's really get into what this life of following Christ is like. Do you really want all the goodness that God promises you in the life that he lives? Well, if you do, then this is the way. If you want to know why your life doesn't reflect the things that you feel like you're learning or the things that you committed to when you're following Christ, this might be the way. So then three questions to prove our quote-unquote thesis or our tagline for the day. One, why this works. Two, how this works. And then three, whose work is this in the end? 
why this works, how this works, and whose work is this. First, why this works, practically and theologically. Here's how it all went down, okay? Remember, there's a context to this. After the Israelites are rescued from Egypt, they go and do the whole Red Sea thing, right, and all the Egyptians die behind them, all that kind of stuff. So they're in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, they have this very critical question facing them. So now what? We're free. We're not slaves, but we don't have anything. We're just a bunch of people in the wilderness. So now what? And then they realize, I think, that they had two choices. One, you can make Moses the absolute leader and ruler, because he's Moses, right? He's Moses. But if you make Moses the absolute ruler and leader, you have, a.k.a., another new pharaoh. So no thank you. Let's move on. Then the second choice is let's just let things like organically and naturally just kind of come about. So someone will come to power, I'm sure. Somebody will tell us what to do. Somebody will figure it out. If you know anything about government, that's called anarchy, a.k.a. just straight chaos. No order, nothing. Somebody just, it's just, if, you, if you've ever, uh, what's that book? Oh, my goodness. The, the pigs? No, no, no. Lord of the Flies. There you go, that one. It's basically that. You didn't say Lord of the Flies? Oh, someone over there. Sorry. Lord of the Flies. You know, if you've never read the book, go read it. It's a great book. Actually, I hate that book, but, you know, I had to read it. You learn some things, right? And so those are the two options. They say, no, 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 thank you. So then God gives the third option, and the third option is the law. And here's what the law does, practically speaking, okay? The law creates a standard, the standard by which everyone must live, no matter who you are. I hope you know that's what laws are supposed to do, okay? Which means that if anything is off of the law, if anything doesn't match up to the law, anybody, anybody, even the poorest of the poor, even the youngest of the young, can say to anybody, because there is a standard that everyone is living by, and anyone can look at them and say, no, 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 you can't do that. Why thus says the Lord. See, when there's a common standard of right and wrong, there's what's called great freedom. Because there's no, there's no question as to the way things are supposed to be. I think that's why our nation, just a side comment, right, is the way that it is. We lack a center of anything. We lack a moral center. We lack an ethical center. We lack a love center. We just lack a lot of these things. And so there's just chaos everywhere. Again, my professor says it like this. He says, when there's no rule book, how do you know how to play the game? Can you imagine playing basketball or football or anything without a rule book? It'd be just utter chaos. Don't nobody want that. So practically, the law provides much-needed order, the best kind, the kind that's provided by God. But then there's a second reason why this works, and that's theologically, and it's because these rules or commands simply fit. And what I mean by that is this. You all know that God is our creator and our redeemer, which means if he created us, he knows us best, better than anyone else knows us. Elon Musk knows Teslas better than anyone else in the world. Why? Because he built the stupid thing. I don't know how they work. They just do. I don't know how you can drive a car without having to actually drive a car. I don't know how that works, but he does because he designed it. It's why they're called the manufacturer's specifications anytime you get a book of something like that. When all else fails, you go to the source, the person who made it. Which means then that if we were to ignore or go against God's law, Yahweh's law, then we are going against his design, which means then that we are violating reality and therefore violating ourselves and violating the way that we're supposed to be. That's all that it is. You don't follow these and you're not living the life the way it's supposed to be lived. 
You're not doing the things the way you're supposed to do them. Like, let me give you some examples. Like six, uh, commandment number six, you shall not murder. That's violating ourselves clearly. I don't think I have to explain that one. But commandment number nine, no false witness. The reason why this violates is because it twists the facts and it complicates life. It drains life. Have you ever felt good about someone who tells lies about you? Ever? No. Or commandment number seven, adultery. This is not an arbitrary rule. The whole don't have sex, all this, this is not an arbitrary rule. We were made for an intimate relationship with one person in the context of marriage. When we hop around, it violates who we are. But more importantly than all of this, the reason why the Ten Commandments is the best way for us to go is because the laws are what I call a self-portrait of God. You see God in and through these laws and you learn who he is better than any other way, maybe, perhaps. Fun little fact, the word for the law in Hebrew is a Hebrew word called Torah. You may know it. But the word Torah comes from a noun, which means to shoot, to throw, or to teach. And this is kind of the idea, and this is from George Knight. He says, when one man teaches another, he shoots ideas from his own into the other's mind. But in doing so, he reveals what is in his own. When I teach my sons or my daughter things, I'm shooting my ideas from my own mind into their mind. And in the end, what I'm doing is revealing what it is that I'm all about. So the Ten Commandments aren't just laws. They're not just rules. They're his ideas, God's ideas, and him revealing his own heart to us. Which means then that through the law, God is showing us who he is. And who he has made us to be. Now ask yourself, do I desire to be exactly as I was made to be? This is why when people ask me about my kids and what I want them to be, I go, how am I supposed to know? I didn't make them. I can learn about them, have ideas. But when they ask me what I want my kids to be, I go, whatever God made them to be. Because that's his design, not mine. So the reason why these commandments are so critical is because they're the insider secret to who you are made to be. And therefore who you ought to become. And therefore the way that you ought to live to maximize the joy and the goodness, freedom that you're supposed to have in this life here on this earth. So why this works. Then second, how this works. Quickly, the commandments break down like this. I won't go through them too, uh, too, uh, too in depth because we're going to go through them one by one. But commandments one through three, right? My professor says they protect, the, they protect and enhance our relationship with the living God. One through three warns us of our capacity for idolatry, which is making anything that isn't God take the place that only God is supposed to take. I hope you know the reason why we talk about idolatry so much because idolatry ex- uh, destroys our life because we are made by the living God, but more importantly, for the living God. We'll talk about that next week. Which is to say that only God can fulfill our deepest longing. Only he can satisfy us. I watched this movie uh, the other day. Not a really good movie, and don't watch it if you're young. It's not appropriate, but it's called Red Sparrow. It's got Jennifer Lawrence in it. She becomes like this Russian spy, and it's not really good. But anyways, in the training, right? Don't, I know, I know. I watch terrible things sometimes. Don't worry about it. But in the training, so she's trained to be like this crazy spy, right? And in the training, her trainer says this. She says, every human being is a puzzle of need. Figure out what they need and become the thing they need and they will give you everything. And we've said this in here many times, that we all have a God-shaped hole 
in our beings that we're trying to fill with anything and everything else but him and then come up empty because they don't do the job. So for our sake, God calls us to him and him only to free us from the little gods for the one and true living God. Then the next, uh, the way it breaks down commandment four is protects and enhances a balanced life. Talking about the Sabbath, right? The six plus one. I'm excited about that. We talk about it all the time, but so necessary. Then commandments five through 10 protects and enhances our relationships with community. Just go through them really quickly. Commandment five begins with the parents. Obey literally means to honor or highly prize. He tells you the reason why he has it is because you're supposed to show respect and take care of your family. Why? So that they will live long and then we will live long. Someone will protect them but then others will protect us. But don't get it twisted. Obey does not mean literally everything. It's to honor. It's different, but we'll get to that when we get there in a couple weeks. Number six, shall not murder. Safeguards our neighbors and our physical lives. Adultery safeguards our neighbors and our marriage, right? Stealing safeguards our neighbors and our property. Bearing false witness safeguards our neighbor's reputation and our reputation. And then number 10, the key one. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor, that whole long spiel. Here, God is protecting us from ourselves. Warns us against a tendency that we crave what is not ours all the time. For example, if I crave my neighbor's status long enough, the desire will move me to either take it by force or destroy them through rumors and then I will have it. If I desire my neighbor's wife enough, then you know what will eventually happen. It's protecting us from us because he wants us to live. Protecting us from our sin while it's still inside and not out there in the world doing crazy things, which means that breaking the 10th commandment is a sign or the clearest sign that we've broken the first and also the rest. Because if we are craving something other than God, more than God, then we're living for another God. Which is why I think David in Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But we'll, again, more on this as we go. So that's how this all works, okay? Then the third, whose work is this? And this is where we finish. Now let's take a moment and address the massive elephant in the room. And here it is, and I think all of you are feeling it. No matter how much you believe this, how much we believe this, and how much you and I want to follow these, we simply will find at the end of the day that we cannot keep these laws all the time, or more like most of the time, or more like any of the time it seems, right? This is why most of us hate rules. Actually, we only hate the ones that we can't follow. People who don't like speeding, uh, speeding limits, speed limits, you know why? You know who those people are? Are the ones who don't want to go that slow. Hmm? What's up, Siri? This is why rules are the way that they are. If you feel like you can't live up to your rules or the standards, then guess what? They become crippling. They become oppressive. They become the things that make us want to give up. And at this point, if you read through the commandments, I'm the same. If you read through them and actually thought about them, you'd be like, wait a minute, I can't do any of those things. I don't ever do any of those things. And just being honest, Pastor P, you don't do any of those things. Let's just be real. I know, I, I've never murdered anybody, and I've never committed adultery, thanks be to the Lord. But I've stolen things in my life. 
I've definitely bared false witness. I've definitely coveted things. But of course, then Jesus takes us to the next step. You know, if you have anger in your heart against a brother, you just murdered him. Oh, frick. Or if you look at someone with lustful eyes, you just commit adultery. You know what I mean? So what are we supposed to do? What's the point if the laws are there? And really, if we're just being honest, there's oppressive things that I cannot live up to. And Pastor Pete, then that's just really mean. You're giving us stuff that we can't even do. That's just like, you know, that's like, you know, when I drink, you know, soda in front of my kids and go, you can't drink this until you're 10. Ha ha, sucks for you, you know. So what's the point? Well, here's the secret. And this is why I said, whose work is this? The secret is, is all of this is not technically our work to do. It's that of Jesus. Now, here's why I say that. Did you know? The word Jesus in Hebrew is this word called Yeshua. Okay, I should have put it on the board. I forgot. It literally means Yahweh to the rescue. That word, Yeshua, Jesus. Yahweh, God to the rescue. And this is fitting because Jesus, as you know, who is the lawgiver himself, right? God, the Trinity, right? Comes all the way down from the holy mountaintop and becomes one of us, subjecting himself to his own laws. But not only just subjecting himself to his laws, he ends up doing the very thing that we all know that we need to but cannot do, which is to keep the law absolutely perfectly from beginning to end. The only one person ever in history who actually kept all of God's laws and commands, Jesus. Thanks be to Jesus. And in doing so, here's what he actually does. The first thing he does is he forgives us. He releases us of the burden. Here's what Colossians says. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has then taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is super important. I love how Jesus doesn't ever ask us to do things that he's never not done. And then I love the fact, I don't know if you know this, but I love the fact how Jesus says, this is what you got to do. This is how you're supposed to live. And by the way, I know you can't do it, so let me do them for you. And oh, when you don't do them well, here, let me die so that I make sure once and for all that even when you don't, as long as you believe that I did and want to follow me, then you're okay too. Ever know of anyone like that? Just period. I'm saying. We aren't bound held responsible for keeping all these laws because he did that for us. So there's no guilt in this. This is why I say there should be no guilt in the Christian life. Why? Because you can't do it anyway, so what are you guilty about? You're only guilty and only feel guilty when you feel like you should have done it. And then when you don't, then you feel guilty. You feel? But if you know that you cannot do it from the jump, why are you guilty? You already know that you're going to fail. So then he forgives us of that guilt. He releases us from that bondage. And then there's a second thing that he says, that he does, and this is more important. He empowers us to then obey. See, Jesus lived the law perfectly because he has an advantage that we do not, right? He's God's son. He's God himself. So the law is his own. Therefore, it comes from his own heart. Therefore, it's really natural to him. It's like breathing air for him. He just does it. That's just who he is. But we're not like that. As you know, we're sinful and we do lots of sinful things. But by living it out on earth for us, then Jesus is able to then share the same advantage with us by giving himself to us in the form of the Holy Spirit. We just sang about it, didn't we? Romans 8 says this, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, 
God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned the sin in the flesh in order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk by the power of the flesh but by the power of the spirit. Basically, what Paul is saying is this. Jesus did it and is going to give us the power so that we can try to do it. But when you don't, don't worry, because he already did it, and that's what you stand on anyway. Now here's where we finish, and the praise team can come up as they do. When God first spoke the law, he told all the people to write the Ten Commandments everywhere. He said, write it on your wristbands, write it on the doorposts of your homes, on the gates of your homes, like literally everywhere, right? It was like WWJD braces everywhere. Just write them everywhere so that, you know, when you see it, you might be reminded and that you might actually keep it, kind of an idea, right? And they did for a little while. But then our heart, that stupid, problematic heart of ours, got in the way. So over the course of Israel's history, as they kept doing it worse and worse and worse in some ways, right, God then steps in. And in Jeremiah, he establishes a new covenant, a new arrangement, a new promise with them. And this is what he says. He says, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. Not like the covenant which I made with their ancestors in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Not the covenant that I made when I rescued them from Egypt, he says. Although I was the husband and they broke it. But this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. Those days. I will put my laws with in them, and on their heart, I will write it. Now, don't, don't miss this. Because so often in this life, let's just be real, you come in here, and I might say certain things, or whoever you listen to might say these things, and they tell you to do all these things, like love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and all these wonderful things. And most of us, if we're just being honest, walk out of here going like, I cannot, I try. And then we feel really terrible because we try to do well, and then we don't end up doing well. And it's just this cycle of like trying and then not doing it, and then just back and forth, back and forth. But if you listen to Scripture, and if you listen to what God is saying, especially the Ten Commandments, because they're a standard that none of us are ever going to ever really keep None of the guys in this room are ever going to not have a lustful thought about another woman. Let's just be really honest. And the women, same thing. None of us are not going to have anger toward our brothers and therefore not commit murder. Let's just be really, let's just really be real, right? None of us are not going to covet other people's things. We do it literally on the daily, maybe like every moment of our entire lives. If you don't have AirPods and someone has AirPods, guess what? You're coveting. Let's just be honest, right? So when God says this, he's saying the job of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is leaving for us is simply this, to do heart surgery, to put the law of God on our hearts, to make us new covenant people so that the law goes from the stone, the doorpost, to the wristbands, the WWJD kind of stuff, straight to our heart, engraved forever by the Holy Spirit. And when this happens, and you allow it to happen through it all, then we realize that the laws become much more than just laws. Then they become what I call the ten promises. And Professor says this, that God's law not only informs, but performs. So here's the takeaway as we go into this series. I believe with every fiber of my being, that if we're able to try to live this out because we want to, because we love God and we want to keep his commandments, then you will, experience, you will experience freedom like you've never experienced before. And each week, that's the test. 
When we go through each, every commandment, you're going to look at how does this protect and enhance my life of freedom? How is this the insider's guide for me to live a free life, which I think all of us really want, to understand what freedom actually means, not some sort of pseudo-freedom that we all think it is. And the more we do this, then we'll understand that the more we live this, that the laws go from being laws and commandments, things that we must do, to then the promises that we will have because Jesus did it first, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to do surgery, and then we will find out that this is what we will live. And so we finish today by just going over these Ten Commandments, but as promises. And I want you to hear them. And for those of you who are interested, on the YouTube page, I'm going to put a little link to a Google form, and it'll have this, these exact words. And I got this from a professor who wrote the amazing book. And I hope that this is your promise and your prayer this week. Because I don't know about you, but I'm quite honestly sick and tired of kind of half-faking this life that we're supposed to live. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sick and tired. I came sick and tired a long time ago of caring about what other people thought of me more than what God thinks of me. And then being a slave to that. Maybe you're sick and tired of being a slave to the future that you don't know and what will happen to it. Maybe you're sick and tired of being a slave to the status that you will not earn or maybe won't earn and then being afraid that that doesn't make you good enough. Maybe you're sick and tired of being reliant upon other people's love and their attention rather than the God who gives it to you constantly, forever and ever, who went to the cross and the grave to prove that he loves you. Maybe you're sick and tired of that, but I am. And so for me, when I got this, and when I read this book for the first time after my professor gave it to me, it changed my life because I went, that's the way I want to live. And the words you're about to hear and the words that you're going to read on the screen, that's what he's trying to say to you. So in this next season, RK, beloved family, brothers and sisters, I hope that we will journey together to live the life of freedom that God wins for us, to live the life of freedom that he desires for us by going to the cross and rising again so that nothing can keep us from him and the life he desires for us. Amen? So hear these words, the ten promises of the Lord, and then we will sing and worship our God because he's so worth worshiping. We'll celebrate like the Israelites did here in our own little way by giving him all the glory. Here's what he says. I am Yahweh your God who made you and who became one of you and who went to the cross to free you from the consequence of your rebellious heart. And I am Yahweh your God who comes to live with you and in you through my spirit. Therefore, because I am who I am and have done for you what I have done for you, one day you will no longer buck up against the grain of reality. One day you will no longer have other gods before me. You will have no distorted ideas or images of who I am, and you will not use my name in vain. You will live a holy, sabbatically balanced life. You will honor your mother and father. You will not murder you will not commit adultery, you will not steal, you will not bear false witness, and one day you will not covet. And one day you will love me with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. 
and you will love your neighbor as yourself. And one day you will love one another just as I have loved you. Amen. Join us as we sing in response.